we are going to carry on our series, uh, which is we uh, Abby started looking at the uh, looking at Jesus in the book of Luke. Uh, but the series is being captivated by Jesus, looking through the lens of each of the Gospels. So Abby started in Luke, uh, then uh, Philippa looked at uh, Jesus as God in John's Gospel, is that right? I'm like testing you now, also myself, clearly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then Gareth, uh, last week from Mark's Gospel, uh, looking at Jesus as servant. This week, uh, we're looking at Matthew's gospel, uh, so through the lens of Matthew, uh, and we are going to be looking at Jesus as king. Jesus as king. Um, I wonder what has landed with you over these past few weeks in this uh, series of being captivated by Jesus. I wonder if you've been captivated again by Jesus yet. I also wonder how you were captivated by him in the first place. I wonder what your personal story is. I'm about to talk about Jesus as king, and it gets very, you know, we're talking about Jesus as the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and it can feel very kind of like high brow, very like top level. Uh, But actually, there's an amazing um, thing that we all share, which is that God starts with us. And we have that in common. So I want you to just like think about that question. Where did it start for you? When did Jesus captivate your heart, your life, your walk? And today, you know, what I firmly believe Matthew wants us to to, to do for us is that he wants to introduce us to Jesus as king. He wants to introduce us to royalty. So I've got a question for you. Has anybody here met royalty? Anybody here? Oh, yeah, great. Sam, who have you met? The Queen! Uh, Queen Liz. Uh, Yara. Swiss royal family. Amazing. Any others? Anybody else met the Queen? Not the Queen. Prince Harry. Yeah. Yeah, legend. Oh, there was some controversy. Oh, yeah, correct. Very, uh, everybody's got their finger on the pulse. Very good. Um, Amazing. And yeah, Queen Elizabeth II, we're about to celebrate the Jubilee, 70 years uh, as our queen, uh, an incredible monarch she has been. And I really hope that for all of us, there is uh, an awareness that she seems to, and I really like, we see this in her life, clearly she is somebody who's been captivated by Jesus. And uh, so I encourage you, there are some amazing books coming out and things available which talk about her prayer life and her walk with Jesus coming up to this Jubilee. You should definitely go and check those out. I, uh, I myself, um, I met uh, the, the Queen's daughter, Princess Anne, once. Well, I, I say I met her. I didn't really meet her. My sister met her. Uh, and, um, and my sister, well, I say my sister met her. She... My sister gave her some flowers, um, and so she was definitely close enough uh, to probably, you know, like, kind of touch her hand or something. Uh, Well, basically, when I was little, I I think I was about six years old, my uh, dad worked for a hospice, and uh, he came home one day, and he was very excited because there was going to be a royal visit at the hospice. Princess Anne was coming to visit. 
So uh, we were very excited because he was excited. I had no idea who she was, you know, as a kid. Um, but we all got very excited and the day came and I was like really excited. I'd, I'd clearly been like dressed up in little tie and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, my sister, she got new clothes. Uh, and I don't think I knew at this point that she was giving flowers, but we went along and, um, and then we got there and my sister, who was all dressed up and had this whole role, she was like taken by my parents to just be in the right position by the door. And I was like taken by somebody else, uh, like to stand over in a, cor- in a, in a corner, uh, over in, a, in, the, in the corner. And I, and I looked from a distance and I thought, oh, my sister, look at her. She's going to get to meet Princess Anne. This is incredible. And she did. This lady, who was kind of dressed in lemon, uh, kind of like wa- walked out. And, uh, and then my sister had her little flowers and she, she gave them to Princess Anne. And then she went into the thing, into the, like, the hospice. And that was it. She was gone. And I, who'd been watching from a distance, not only from a distance, but literally I was behind a wall, like over like this. And I was like, wow, this, I, don't, I feel like I got excited about something that wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's not like that with Jesus. <laughs> I think when we talk about Jesus as king, we have all of our own different uh, kind of understandings of royalty. And we have very, lots of earthly versions of this that we might pin on Jesus. And a lot of those might inform us about who Jesus is. But one thing is clear for Matthew is that we are not supposed to be people who are at a distance looking over a wall at this person who we don't really understand, uh, who's going to disappear before we even get a chance to get to know them. Jesus is the king who wants us to meet him. More than that, he wants to meet us, who knows our name, who wants us to become part of his royal family. Now, let's have a little look at Matthew, uh, just to give you some uh, kind of context for this. Matthew, very interesting uh, gospel. Matthew and Luke kind of both include all of Mark's gospel. And that's because Mark, the shortest one, as many of us know it, uh, was written first. And then Matthew was written second, probably about 75 AD. So we're talking about kind of 35 years after Jesus's um, ascension. And it would have been uh, like talked, orally given, uh, like shared around little parts of it for all of those years. So in lots of ways, when we come to the gospel and we read it as a, as a book, we're actually just reading what was the kind of, um, what had landed really that people have been talking about already since uh, Jesus's ascension. And we're, we know that um, with Matthew's gospel, he was, whoever wrote Matthew's gospel, and we don't fully know who it, who it was, um, they were definitely writing to a Jewish audience. And because of that, theologians think that the writer was almost certainly a Jewish Christian who really wanted to help the Jewish kind of diaspora uh, understand who this Jesus was, especially to them. 
Tradition tells us that the, the, the gospel was written by Matthew. That's why it's called Matthew. Uh, the apostle Matthew, and we'll come back to that because Matthew is talked about in Matthew's gospel. Um, but like I said, we don't fully know who wrote it. But what we do know is that as the writer of Matthew sets out this gospel, the structure of this gospel, uh, he is both trying to uh, tell us about Jesus, leading us to the amazing passage at the end of Matthew, which is the, the, the great uh, commission of going to make disciples of all nations. But he's got various threads going on through that. And the main one for Matthew is that we would understand that he is the promised king, the Messiah of Israel. In fact, chapter 1, verse 1, it starts, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So even in the first verse, Matthew is stating what he, one of the key things he wants us to understand. Jesus the Messiah. Matthew quotes the Old Testament about 50 times through the gospel. Uh, it's, the one, it's the most heavily laden with all of the Old Testament references. Uh, and there are other kind of allusions as well, uh, parts that connect with the Old Testament. And he has in it, uh, for those of you who are kind of more uh, scholarly, uh, most of you, probably not me so much, but uh, theologians have, uh, they call it the, the, the fulfillment formulas. So throughout Matthew's gospel, he uses this word fulfill quite a few times, but there are 10 specific ones. And they all refer to Jesus fulfilling uh, the promise in the Old Testament of a king, a Messiah, who would come and conquer the enemies of Israel, who would come and free Israel from whoever they were oppressed by, who would give them their own place, their own identity, their own land, their own hope. This was the promise of the Messiah. And Matthew is so interesting in the midst of this because he he kind of emphasizes this by showing us that Jesus is the new version of lots of the uh, Jewish heroes, the Old Testament heroes. He is, Jesus, the name, uh, is the Greek version of the Hebrew Joshua. And Jesus becomes the new Joshua, the one who will like, take the people into the promised land. There are other parts of this as well. John the Baptist is like the new Elijah, and uh, Matthew kind of sets Jesus up as the new temple, the new place where people might meet God. The one I want to just like unpack for you uh, as we dig in, and then be, we'll dig into the question of like, what does this really mean for us, is that um, Jesus was the new Moses, it's so interesting when you read Matthew's gospel, and you can go and do this, uh, that we find these parallels. So we know that Moses uh, took the people out of Egypt. And in Matthew 2, we have Jesus, the child who uh, is born and has to flee into Egypt. And then in order to come and like, outwork his ministry, he comes out of Egypt uh, into Israel to do that. Moses came through the Red Sea, but didn't cross the Jordan to the promised land. Jesus passes through water. Actually, he gets baptized in the Jordan, so he does make it. He gets into the Jordan where Moses never did. But there is this parallel here. 
Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years with the Israelites. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted. Jesus, uh, Moses went up a mountain to receive the law. Jesus stands in Matthew 5 and proclaims to us the Sermon on the Mount uh, from a mountain and gives the new law. Jesus becomes the one who takes the, the covenant that Moses received from God and gives it away as the new covenant through his blood. So you can see these parallels here. And, and what does this really mean for us? I mean, one of the things that the, the, the writer of Matthew does for us is that he takes those promises and then he begins to expand them. Because these promises that were for the people of God, Israel, the nation of Israel, become suddenly promises for the whole of humanity. Moses was the one who freed Israel from slavery in Egypt. Jesus becomes the one who gives us freedom, all of us, who takes us out of slavery and oppression and rescues us. And this is the key definer for, uh, that I want us to get from this, um, this point that Matthew uh, wants us to understand Jesus as Messiah, is that Jesus is the rescuer. The Messiah was the promise of rescue, and Moses was the rescuer of Israel. Jesus becomes the one who can rescue again. This is, this is big news. But I want to ask you do, you, do you want to meet this king? Like if you didn't know about Jesus already and you heard about this Messiah, this person who could rescue everybody from the situation they were in, like would you want to meet them? Yeah, there's some yeses. I think this is very good. I think there's also some of us who would be unsure about that. This person um, high up there. And, uh, and I think in some ways, this identity of Jesus as king can be very intimidating for us. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he, he shares the parable of the sheep and the goats. It, it reads like this, and it shows us a picture of Jesus's kingly authority. It says, when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. There is so much that Jesus is able to give us because of his authority as king. And yet in his presence, I think there is also challenge, which intimidates me. Challenge because he is the one who can separate uh, what is good in my life from what is bad in my life. So do you want to meet this king? I hope that you do. And I feel like even today, there is an opportunity for us to meet him at a greater depth. This king of the universe, this Messiah of all of the cosmos is available and able to take us deeper today. But I don't know if you'd rather meet a different type of king or, or royalty. I mean, I, I, I certainly, there's some real kind of, uh, there's some real kind of, 
fictional kings and queens and royalty that actually I would quite like to meet them. I think that, I don't know about you, who your favorite, who, anybody know any kind of kings or queens from films or royalty? Any favorites out there? Elvis, the king of rock and roll. Where would we be without Elvis? Yes, yes. Any others? Any other kings you'd like to meet or royalty? Yes, Aragorn, exactly. Aragorn Elisar, the king of Gondor. Yes, I would like to meet him. Anybody else? Leonidas, yes. Timmy, yes. Anybody else? Any, any more? Cleopatra. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know if I want to meet Cleopatra. She was quite scary, Roz, right? right? Uh, what, about, uh, what about King Jaffa Joffa, the father of Prince Akim of Zamundu? Zamunda. I couldn't pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. James Earl Jones. Yeah. In Coming to America, Eddie Murphy's king father. Oh, James Earl Jones, actually. He just, you get a double whack with him because he's also Mufasa. Yeah, so you get to meet Mufasa as well. Um, This is the point where I really wanted to play the theme to Black Panther, but I didn't organize myself enough because I would like to meet the king, King T'Challa. I just feel that uh, that incredible moment uh, of uh, of meeting. Oh, that would be incredible to meet him. Uh, There was a survey done. I kind of surveyed you. Any others before you lose lose your chance to shout out? Aslan, oh, Michelle, Aslan. Yeah, the Lion King as well. Aslan, yes, I would like to meet Aslan. And this is it. Actually, Aslan is like, we read that with our kids, and this is it. We get the opportunity to walk with, to meet with, to be with Jesus, who is the Lion uh, who is for us. There was a survey done uh, of who people... Who, which fictional characters people would like to elect as either president or prime minister. Um, number one, Gandalf. <laughs> number two, it's a little bit, maybe a little bit dated now. Number two, Josiah Bartlett from the West Wing, obviously for president, you know. Uh, uh, number three, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Star Trek, yeah. I'm sure there's some Star Wars ones out there as well. Uh, Number four, this surprised me, uh, Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter. I mean, yeah, why not Dumbledore? Why, why McGonagall? But anyway, yeah, great. Uh, and number five, you might never guess it, Buddy the Elf. Yeah? You could see that people took this survey really seriously. Um, I think for some of us, like, we are surrounded by these narratives of, uh, of, the, of royalty as we would love them to be. Like either the true hero or the, the one who is so kind of um, accessible, personable, funny that we could just spend time with them. It'd be really nice to hang out with them. We make up our own narratives of this because we are hardwired to want to follow a royal leader. Even in countries where that isn't the the paradigm, as it were, it isn't what they have. Uh, You know, Jesus is the one who comes and says, I am the chief. I am the one uh, who is the, the leader, who can lead you. 
I, I am the, the five-star general. I'm, I am the commander of your life. I am the captain. We sang it earlier. This is Jesus who is the king. I'm just going to read to us uh, from Matthew 9. This is when Matthew met Jesus. It says this. This is Matthew 9 from verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that tax collectors were not popular people back in Jesus' day. In fact, they were really people who, who were um, represented a real kind of split allegiance in so many ways. When, when Jesus meets Matthew, I think really Matthew already had three, at least three kings. So first of all, Matthew was Jewish, so he was uh, under Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, uh, who was called the king of Judah. He was the ruler of the Jewish people. Then there was the king of the Romans, Caesar, which is where the phrase king of kings, lord of lords originally comes from. It's what Caesar was called before the Christians called Jesus that. It was Caesar's claim that he was the king above all other kings. So Matthew was also, as a tax collector, the one who was collecting tax for the Roman king, for Caesar. Um, And also, because he was a tax collector, there is this narrative which we can't avoid, which is that he had a very specific relationship with money. Tax collectors were notorious for adding on their own kind of commission, as it were, for taking more than they needed to, for amassing wealth and separating themselves in that way. Matthew, we think, would have been no different to that. So he, he, was, a, he was under the rule of the king of the Jews, under the rule of the king of the Romans, but he was also under the rule of money, which can be a king in our lives. It def- money is the thing that defined his moral code. And so he was already navigating this split allegiance when Jesus meets him. And Jesus, in the midst of that, doesn't name all these things directly, but simply comes and says, follow me. And then goes round to his house for dinner. And I think it's interesting to ask, like, at what point did Matthew start seeing Jesus as king? I think he must have seen some of that when he decided to follow Jesus because his allegiance was already to these other things and yet he was so willing straight away to give allegiance over to Jesus. And the whole language around following uh, was exactly that. It was a, a, an incredible decision uh, to, to give up other things in order to follow in a new direction Jesus. There's a key Old Testament reference in here from Matthew, from Hosea 6. But my point here is that when Matthew meets Jesus, he is there, not in a position where he was looking for Jesus, but where Jesus comes to look for him. And where Jesus then takes him on a journey. 
where Matthew has to give up his allegiance to these other kings, these other places where he was uh, finding security and worth and purpose, and to give those over so that he might follow Jesus. And I wonder if that is what we need to get better and better at doing. Where we take these other things that we might give our allegiance to or our attention to or our worship to and where we begin to once again hear Jesus saying, come, follow me. And Jesus doesn't do that without giving a kind of evidence of of what he is able to provide. And of course, a lot of that, as we've already looked at, is to do with his identity as the Messiah. But also, there is something in here which is incredible. When Matthew meets Jesus, one of the things that Jesus says at the meal table, when he's challenged, after Matthew has just met him, Jesus says to these challengers, when they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now Jesus is not the king of sacrifice, which the Messiah could have been seen as. The one who had oversee the temple and the sacrifices and the means by which people might do what they need to do to get right with God and then go on with their daily lives. No, Jesus is the king of mercy. The king who comes as a doctor for the sick. The king who comes to offer change for those who are ashamed. The king who comes to call even the likes of us. He's the one who calls tax collectors and sinners. He preaches good news to the poor. He calls the irreligious and unimportant. So if you're feeling irreligious today, you're in good company because Jesus is is the one who calls the likes of us. He is the one who welcomes everybody, feeds the hungry, clothes the naked. He heals the sick. He's the one who challenges injustice and the misuse of power. You know, in fact, Jesus is the one who remodels what it means for us to be empowered people. He teaches us how to use power properly. He, he preaches a, a kingdom which is, is turning things upside down, where we don't gain by amassing wealth, but we gain by giving away. Where honor is earned by serving, like Gareth preached about last week where instead of revenge, we live by forgiveness. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is why God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
I, I always get emotional. Many of you are used to this. Uh, and, uh, and I think I always find it's important to say that this is, this is uh, yes, because of my own, like, um, you know, journey and the, the, the tension of being in a journey of change with Jesus, but also because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I always cry when the Holy Spirit kind of just does that little increase amongst us. I wonder if you can feel that now, that, that the Spirit hovers over our darkness, that he might bring new life in us. And to finish, I want to just draw our attention to one of the things that Jesus says, because I think it's the most relevant thing for us today. He says, I, didn't, I, I, don't, I haven't called, come to call the healthy, but the sick. And I just think, who else other than Jesus can say that? You know, if, if one of you came and said that to me, I'd probably smile and then be like, huh, they've got a nerve saying that to me. And I think if, if I said that to any of you guys, or if we, we said that, we might actually, our hackles would go up and we'd be actually kind of, who is this person to say to me that I'm sick? Because we immediately, because we live in a world in the way that we do, we immediately think, ah, oh, because they're saying they're healthy and I'm sick and I've got a problem and they haven't got a problem. And we go into these narratives. And some of these narratives are the most powerful in the world because they are the things uh, that break people and alienate people. Ultimately, they're the things that start wars and perpetuate wars. And Jesus comes into the midst of that and says, I am the king. These things are now coming to an end. And my rule and my reign is how it's going to be. Not just today, but for eternity. And Jesus comes in his mercy because he is the king of tenderness and mercy and compassion. He is gentle. He is able to be approached by any of us, no matter what we've done or how we feel. He comes and says, I can change where you are ill. I can heal where you are sick. I can deliver you where you are trapped. This is the king of rescue. This is the king of mercy. This is Jesus. So I want you to hear that today, that Jesus being the king of mercy does not mean that you can remain unchanged. Mercy will never leave us unchanged. And I want to tell you today that that is good news because it doesn't mean that you're going to become a different person uh, that with, like out of your control. It means that Jesus, who knows you better than anybody else, Jesus, the Son of the Father, who loves you, who has a purpose for your life, who sees in you worth and glory and honor, Jesus comes and says, you can change because I can lead you in that.